In which direction should a Christian be looking? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Victorian pastor and preacher, blessed by God in his ministry through his life, tells us that in the Christian pilgrimage, it is well for the most part to be looking forward, yet nevertheless the Christian may do well sometimes to look backward. He's saying these things in a sermon entitled Prayer Answered, Love Nourished. And that's our topic in this edition of From the Heart of Spurgeon. It's a sermon that was preached in 1859 on the 27th of February from Psalm 116 and verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. This sermon, number 240, in the sequence, in the New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 5, is uh, our featured sermon this week as we read through 234 to 240. Next week, 241 to 247, if you're reading along with us. But for today, sermons request, suggestion, encouragement that we look back in order to obtain some particular encouragements and blessings. And what he wants us to do is to take up a book which you ought often to read, the book of remembrance which God has written in your heart of his great goodness and continued mercies. And I want you to turn to that golden page wherein are recorded the instances of God's grace in having listened to your voice and having answered your supplications. So here's his text, God has heard my voice and my supplication, and here's the response to that experience, I love the Lord. And what he wants to do in the course of this sermon is to give us seven reflections to stir us up to love to God from our hearts in the light of the memorial that he hears and answers prayers. Uh, There are seven headings then, some of which are broken down into further divisions, but it's uh, there for a fairly rapid canter through these seven reasons from our experience in prayer why we ought to love God. And the first thing that Spurgeon wants us to remember, looking back, is your own prayers and to look at them honestly and to face the fact that it's wonderful that God should ever have heard a one of them. Our prayers are not in themselves worthy of acceptance. The true Christian in looking back, says Spurgeon, weeps over his prayers. And Spurgeon explains to us why that's the case. Because very often our prayers are cold things, feeble prayers which we ourselves have despised and which we thought would have died at the gate of mercy, but have been nursed and nurtured and fostered and accepted and have come back to us a full-grown blessing bearing mercy in both its hands. Then again, not only are our prayers too often cold, but they are unfrequent and few, and yet God's blessings toward us have been numerous and great. Intermittent spasms of importunity which come and go with our necessities, Spurgeon calls our prayers. These sort of occasional jerking reactions to our immediate needs. And yet God hears those prayers when we come to him with our wants. It's it's staggering, says Spurgeon, that given the way in which we pray and the reasons for which we pray, God yet remembers. And yet, beyond that, they're often unbelieving. We haven't really expected that God would give us what we want. We've not honoured him with our faith. And yet, 
he has been pleased to bless us. And how small too the faith of our most faithful prayers. When we believe the most, how little do we trust? How full of doubting is our heart, even when our faith has grown to its greatest extent? What Christian is there here who is not ashamed of himself for having so often doubted a God who never yet denied himself, who was never once untrue nor once unfaithful to his word? We wake up in the morning, says Spurgeon. Our family are safe. Uh, our house it hasn't burnt down in the night. We've still got breath in our bodies. And we think back to our prayer the night before. And we might even have been punished for its poverty. So pathetic and so shallow might it have been. And Spurgeon says, think then about the poverty of your own praying. Think about its coldness, its dullness, its lack of faith, its positive unbelief. I am sure, beloved, he says, we shall find much reason to love God if we only think of those pitiful abortions of prayer, those unripe figs, those stringless bows, those headless arrows which we call prayers and which he has borne with in his long suffering. So there's your first recollection that ought to make you love God as you think about praying. How poor and pathetic our prayers have been judged honestly and yet how God has heard us and how God has blessed us. But then beyond that, consider the great variety of mercies which we have asked in prayer and the long list of answers which we have received. And again, Spurgeon's going to divide this up, this time into uh, three particulars. First of all, prayer for ourselves and specifically with regard to our souls, then with regard to our bodies more generally, and then with regard to particular sickness and other such crises. And so he says, Christian, be your own preacher. It's impossible to depict your experience as well as you can read it for yourself, but here are some categories that I want you to think about. I want you to think about how God blessed your soul when you called upon him for grace to save you, grace to keep you, grace to constrain and restrain in your life, grace that was uh, bringing assurance of faith to you, the comfortable application of the promise, God has never ceased to give you water to drink from the living rock, Christ Jesus the Lord. Your soul has been richly blessed in answer to your prayers. And beyond that, your body also has been in need. You've asked for food and for raiment, and it's been given to you. You've not had the miraculous provision of the children of Israel in the wilderness whose clothes never grew old, but you've had new ones when you've wanted them and there's been food on the table when you've required it. And then when have you been sick? Like Hezekiah, you've cried, Lord, spare your servant. And the very fact that you're listening, says Spurgeon, to this sermon, or I might say you're listening to this podcast, you're living, living to praise God. How many times might you have been struck down? How often might your life have been snuffed out? And he says, you We've lived to see the empty sanctuary crowded to the full, our largest attempts successful beyond our most sanguine hopes. We've prayed for sinners and seen them saved. We've asked for backsliders. We've seen them restored. We've cried for a Pentecost and we've had it. We've seen blessings in the church of Jesus Christ. 
So says Spurgeon, and he's sort of wrapping it up and expanding it at that point. You think of your prayers for your souls. You think of your prayers for your bodies. You think of your afflictions and your sicknesses. Don't forget, too, the blessings that we've enjoyed in serving Christ in his church and how much ought that to move us to thanksgiving and love for the God who has answered us with this abundant variety of mercy. The third thing, the third recollection, not only firstly that you have prayed poorly and God has blessed richly, not only secondly how many mercies God has bestowed and how many answers God has given, but thirdly how frequently God has answered your frequent prayers. God has never murmured at the frequency of your prayers, says Spurgeon, but has rather complained that you have not come to him enough. If we give someone something because they needed it, we're disappointed perhaps or frustrated or even irritated because they come back and ask for more. We might say to them, but I've already provided for you. Not the Lord, says Spurgeon. No, he delights to have you again and again and again, not only willing to receive you, but actually urging you to come to himself. And then a fourth thing, the greatness of the mercy for which you have often asked him. You've not come with small petitions. You've not come with uh, little matters. You have asked for great things. You have sought pardon through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been in deep trouble. You've been almost swallowed up and utterly overwhelmed. You thought you've come to the very end and you put up this poor groaning prayer, but you asked great things, daring to believe what God had said. God's mercy, says the preacher, are so great that they cannot be magnified, so numerous they cannot be multiplied, so precious they cannot be overestimated. Do you love the Lord because he has heard your voice and your supplications? You have asked him, even groaning, for great things, and he has given them to you. But now the flip side, number five. Another aspect of this case might get closer to you, says Spurgeon. Not just now the greatness of the mercies for which you've often asked, but how trivial have been the things which we have often taken before God, and yet how kindly has he condescended to hear our prayers. If you don't love God because of the greatness of the gifts that he's given, have you considered how you should love him because of the smallness of the things that he has received you concerning? You, you've gone for things that might seem utterly petty, he says you can feed a child all the year round and never get thanks, but give it something precious, a sweetmeat or an orange, and you may have its heart and its gratitude. And we do that. We overlook the daily blessings, the smaller mercies, relatively speaking. And we've taken our daily concerns before the Lord. We're told to ask him day by day for bread. And it's the Christian's privilege then to take all his sorrows to his God, be they little or be they great. We're not to be ashamed in taking the, the smallest needs to our Heavenly Father. And there's a, a, a lovely little uh, illustration. The Queen will stand at one hour listening to her ministers who talk with her about public business, but she's no less a Queen when her little child runs to her as its mother because a gnat has stung it. It's the same royal dignity and the child has as much right to take every need to the parent as the, uh, the minister has to take a request to the sovereign. 
In fact, the child can go with the smallest and most seemingly insignificant of concerns because of that relationship. And God, your God, if you're a Christian, he hasn't just received you on great matters of state, as it were, but he's welcomed you as his beloved child into his presence. The Lord has heard your little prayers, answered your little supplications. And then he rattles on, number six, the timely answers which God has given to you in your prayers. They've never come too soon, those answers. They've never come too late. If the Lord had given you his blessing one day before it did come, it might have been a curse. And there are times if he'd withheld it an hour longer, it would have been quite useless. But the timing of God's answers to our prayers. Sometimes the no because it would not be good for us to have what we've asked, and very often the not yet, because it's not the best moment for us to receive what we have asked, but always from a wise, gracious, powerful heart of love, ready to bestow just what is needed at just the right time. God's deliverances come punctually at the very tick of the clock of wisdom, says Spurgeon, not before and not after. Spurgeon says again now, this time number seven, look back and consider this. Will you not love the Lord when you recollect the special and great instances of his mercy to you? And Spurgeon's zeroing in here on individual experience, perhaps particularly when you've had seasons of special prayer and of special answer. There's been a particular opportunity, a particular need, a particular crisis, and you've had a double cause, as it were, for prayer. You've had a particular need to deal with God, and the Lord has particularly blessed you in answer to your prayers. And when you think of that double mercy which God has poured out in the light of your double need, your response is, love God? What can I do for him? There is nothing too great for me to give, nothing too large for me to do. Only let me know my duty and the recollection of God's marvellous bounty shall lead me to give of my substance to him, to give my whole heart to him. I will be wholly his and hope that in death he will receive me to himself." How many times, if we have any real depth of spiritual experience, have we been found on our knees pleading or weeping or groaning in deep distress, in a profound sense of our own weakness, desperate for a blessing, and how often the Lord has been pleased to pour out his kindnesses upon us. Spurgeon also talks about the the corporate seasons of, of prayer, and he reminds the church of uh, that he's preaching to of how they have had particular needs, and they have particularly sought God, and they have received particular blessings. And the Lord has shown his kindnesses, not now just to the individuals, but also to the body of Jesus Christ gathering together and pleading with him. Here then are these seven particular reasons, these seven recollections, these retrospectives on our experience in prayer. Think about your own prayers, how poor they've been and how God has been pleased to answer. Think about the great variety of mercies for which you've asked and the great list of answers which you have received. Think about the frequency of God's answers to your frequent prayers, calling you to himself again and again and never slow to provide what you need. 
Think of the great mercies for which you've asked him. Think of the trivial things that you've taken before him, and in both cases he has continued to bless. Think of the timeliness of the answers which God has given you with regard to your praying, and then think of the special and great instances of his mercy to you, either as an individual Christian or as a churchman or woman, and how special seasons of special prayer have received special answers. And then three brief applications then to conclude. First of all, God has heard your voice in your prayer. The first lesson, God should hear your voice in your praise. If God heard you pray, God should hear you sing. If he listened to you when the tear was in your eye, you should listen. he should listen to you when your eye is sparkling with delight. In other words, if God has heard your prayer, then he should hear your praise. It's the proper response to your delight in him. Then, has God heard your voice? Then you should hear his voice. If God heard you, you should now hear him. If you have called upon him and he has answered you, then whatever he commands or requires or instructs, then that should be your your joy and your delight. Let the Lord only speak, and your voice is, Here am I, Lord, send me. Is there then an ordinance to which I have never attended? Do you say, Do this in remembrance of me? Is it your command? However non-essential it seems to be, I will do it because you have told me to do it. Have you been baptised upon your profession of faith? Have you uh, acted towards your brothers and sisters in the church in the way that you should? Have you uh, given encouragement or perhaps even rebuke when the season has been appropriate? Is there anything which God has made clear to you in his word? Then if God has heard you when you have spoken to him, how much more out of love ought you to hear God when he speaks to you? And the last lesson is, Lord, have you heard my voice? Then I will tell others that you will hear their voice too. Here's an encouragement from our hearts to others. Has God saved me? Then God can save anyone else. Has God heard my weak prayer when it came from a heart stirred and prompted by the Holy Spirit to cry out for mercy? Then why should God not work that way and hear that cry in the hearts of any others? So he says, go out of my own experience. Go and plead the promises, plead the blood, ask for the help of God's spirit. And there is not one in this assembly who shall not receive the blessing if God shall lead him to pray. What a delightful sermon that is. It's uh, very much particularly for the people of God. But there's that lovely note at the end, out of our experience, we call upon others to trust in the God in whom we have trusted, to taste and see that the Lord is good indeed. But what a lovely reminder and how slow we can be to do this ourselves, to think back over the experience that we have had in prayer, both its very low points and perhaps its higher points, those times when we felt utterly empty and worthless and pathetic and petty, other times when we've wrestled with God and had a a sense of uh, real dealings with him at the throne of grace by the help of the Holy Spirit, and whether or not it's the, the depths or the heights, how many reasons God has given to us to love him for the way that he has heard our prayers. May I encourage you, in the light of this sermon, 
in the light of this podcast, just to pause for a few minutes and to consider how many reasons you have to love the God of your salvation if you are one of his people, to love the God of your sanctification, to love the God of your preservation, to love the God who has held you and kept you and guided you and blessed you every day of your life. We're very quick, perhaps, to think of the things that we lack. We're, we record our sufferings and our disappointments with indelible pens, and yet the faintest of pencil too often will do for our blessings, and it's quickly rubbed out when there's trouble sweeps over us again. But no, remember, consider how much God has blessed you, how often God has heard you, how richly God has ministered to you, how readily God has bestowed blessing upon you as your Father in heaven. Take time then to consider that richness, that goodness, that sweet mercy which he has so often, so eagerly, so readily and so lovingly provided. I hope that's been a blessing to your soul and I hope we'll see you again in due course for another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. Next week, our featured sermon is number 246, God willing, and the title is Mr. Fearing Comforted. Mr. Fearing Comforted. If you're reading along with us, then it's uh, sermons 241 to 247 from Sunday through to Saturday and I hope that they will continue to be a blessing to you, certainly not displacing, but in the best sense, supplementing your reading in God's own holy word, that you may have it explained, applied to your soul by this uh, master craftsman, blessed by God, to bring his truth to the blessing of many hearts. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to uh, bringing something to you from the heart of Spurgeon again in the future. This is From the Heart of Spurgeon with me, Jeremy Walker. I hope that today's podcast has been a blessing to your soul. If you would like to share that blessing with others, please leave us a review on your favourite podcast app, especially if you live outside the United States. It makes a genuine difference. Thanks very much for listening.